Welcome to the Kincast from Kinherit. We examine everyday challenges from running a business, self-development, and getting on the property ladder to dealing with loss, having a family, and preparing for our end of life. Practical and insightful, the Kincast series will take you through life's challenges from cradle to grave. It addresses the current climate while also looking to the future to see how we can survive and thrive. Good morning and welcome. My name is Ben Mason, CEO of Kinherit, and this is the Kincast. Today we're joined by Simon Kelly, who is a great practitioner in what he does, but also become a good friend. Um, we could turn this into the golf cast, but we won't um, because he's still not allowed out to play. Waiting for a reaction to that one. Um, but thank you, Simon, for joining us. I'll throw it to you in a second. But just to say to people who've watched before and listened before, things might look a bit different and sound a bit different. Um, I'm in a different location, um, back in the office, preparing for the team to return in a few weeks time. So um, I'm back here testing things out. So I will be looking rather than looking like that. I'll be looking like that because my second screen is now over here rather than above. And um, hopefully you enjoy it. In the next few weeks, we'll be adding a new set of mics to get some more professional sound quality. So thank you for bearing with us working off the computer, but things will improve and thank you for, for joining us. Right, Simon, let's talk about um, employee benefits. But before we talk about employee benefits, let's talk a little bit about you. So you left school in uh, 99, went straight to Axis Sun Life, one of what was one of Bristol's biggest employers for many, many years. I, it's now the Aviva building. It was Axis Sun Life and Friends Life. And I think it's had been Diligenta and other things at other times. It's now Aviva. But you were there for, for five, six years, moved on to HSBC Life. So boring financial jobs like I've had, then BCWA for some more boring financial jobs. Then things started to pick up when you worked for Best Health. And after and about 2014, correct if I'm wrong, when, the, when Best Health as a business was sold or part of it was sold, you bought a client bank and set up XSelect. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so 2014, six-figure sum, 140 clients. Um, Excellent was born from a, a genius branding person from from BNI, and it's been an exciting growth since, really, and a bit of a journey. Amazing. So let's just tell everyone what you do as a firm. Tell us a bit about your firm, and then we'll talk about employee benefits, we'll talk about coronavirus, talk about things going forward. But just tell us a bit about Excellent and what you guys do. Okay. So very simply, we are a whole of market uh, insurance broker specialising in employee benefits. Um, so when we talk employee benefits, we're talking about the traditional uh, regulated benefits like healthcare, death in service, income protection, critical illness. Um, and then we've also got a non-regulated supporting business that provides flexible benefits technology and non-regulated benefit uh, relationship management. So um, non-regulated benefits, things like that was childcare vouchers, online shopping portals, um, wills, Lots, lots, lots of things. So we're, we're a one-stop shop for an SME um, to effectively get access to corporate level experience and benefit design. That seems to cover it all off nicely. Um, business owners, new people who are new to business might be listening to this. So you, you bought the client bank, six-figure sum. Excuse the phrase, but you put everything on the table, literally. How did it feel the next day when you, or that night when you went to bed and you thought, Christ, I paid for this, what am I going to do now? You obviously knew the industry, but now you've taken the risk. Hmm. I, I think, I mean, one of, one of the things I've always said is I, I don't think I was ever a, a natural entrepreneur. I think I recognised that it was an opportunity uh, and I went with it. And that might have been, um, a bit of a gamble, but certainly it seems to have been the best best decision I ever made. Um, I think the the build up to the purchase was the scariest part, but actually on day one, um, so one thing I should say is when I when I bought that book of business, an employee came with me uh, as part of that arrangement. So I was never in that situation of being a self-employed sole trader, having to make that big step of of employing because that happened from day one. Um, and that's, I think, often the biggest uh, barrier to people's um, growth as a business, actually, is taking that first step into, into mm. employment. 
So I had that from day one, which was great. Um, it was a, a brilliant person. Um, and he's still with me now, five years later. Um, and we've, we've grown from, it was the two of us now, with there, there are nine full-timers in Bristol, all working brilliantly from home, um, no one on furlough, uh, all kind of working hard. Um, and the, pa the pain of everyone being at home, how many days before lockdown had you finished moving in and decorating your new offices? Because it can't have been many. Well, I don't know. We, we moved in um, 5th of December. So yeah. uh, we had a, a, couple, a good couple of months in, um, in the offices. Uh, for, just to give a bit of context to, to <laughs> what Ben's just said, we, um, we moved on our fifth birthday, we moved into some fantastic owned offices, spent a huge amount of money with, with a brilliant um, company called uh, AMH. Who, who did a fantastic job of giving us absolutely a, a, a most amazing, I'd almost say world-class workspace. Um, and yeah, now I'm the only one sat in it. Depressing, but we'll all be back. We'll all be back. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm looking now at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten empty, empty desks. desks. So I've got ten lots of tech, computers, phones, dual screens, everything empty um mm. but it is what it is and we, we all kind of know where we are so that's a great background on where the business is so let's assume um the viewers and i don't know a great deal talk to me about the two types of employee benefits regulated and unregulated so a lot of people in a lot of people watching this so i'll, I'll caveat with obviously i as you know we've got I've got to inherit, but my other business, Future Protected, the life does individual life insurance. One of the things I hear so much of the time is that um, we've, we, we, we might have some benefits from work, but we don't know what we are. That really shocks me when people don't know what their employee benefits are. They don't know what they've got. So help me and other viewers understand what they might have and how to find out and what options there are. Mm. One, of, one of the biggest problems actually is that an employer can, can spend a, a vast amount of money on providing what they think are fantastic employee benefits for, the, for their workforce and then not tell them. So they might sit within an employment contract and you might have access to, you know, a Bupa level health insurance scheme that would enable them to, to bypass waiting lists and, and go to any private facility in a private room and, and get world-class healthcare. They could have three or four times, maybe much more in, in certain areas of the country of, of their salary in the event of their, their death whilst working for the company as a cash sum. Cash sum. Again, they could, have, they could have the same or similar cash sum in, in the event of them contracting a critical illness like cancer or having a heart attack, cash payout to help support them during that impossible time. They could have a group income protection policy that paid a percentage of their salary whilst they were unable to work long term. They could have a dental policy that could, you know, give them access to, to a private dental treatment, money back for costs that they've already got. Um, so there could be a, a whole host of benefits that sit behind the scenes, but without the employer actually um, communicating those benefits properly, uh, the employee can be, can be blissfully unaware that they're there. And that then there are twofold issues here. One is that the, the individual will go out and procure a benefit that they think they need. And the other one is that the employer is wasting a vast sum of money. So one of the things that we do as a business is make sure that when we, yeah, one of the things we do is just make sure that when we're implementing benefits, that the first line of, of, uh, of approach really is to, to talk about the communication of those benefits and make sure it's absolutely clear. Uh, to the employees of, of what you're putting in place. So why is that? Not the why is it that you do it. Why is it that employers don't tell people? I, I had a shoulder operation, two of them. I was working for Zurich at the time and I knew that I'd got some employee benefits, but and they do an employee benefit handbook and that sort of thing, but it wasn't really clear the depth of the cover I had for my health insurance or, or this, that, and the other. So this is back in 2015. But I, I kind of knew something was there, but 
I had to then go and find out about it in more detail. I, I, that, and that's a, that's a great, oh, look, it was a great benefit. Great to have the level of cover they gave was superb. So first thing to say, that, thank you for that. <laughs> it saved me eight and a half thousand pounds on paying for an operation privately or waiting 32 weeks on the NHS. Um, so that was great, but it could have all been communicated better. So as an example of another company that did it, what, why don't firms communicate these benefits? If they're paying for them, they should really do it. I think at the, at the corporate level, um, there is a level of expectation that there's a platform in place, there's a benefits portal that um, everything is, is posted on, all the benefits, all the communi- communication is hosted on, and the employees are then given information about it in their induction perhaps and said, okay, log in here, you'll find out about the benefits that are available to you. And realistically, when you first uh, start a role, you might be quite engaged and excited about what you've got as, as part of that employment package. But as you uh, work through your very long corporate career, uh, the number of times that you might log, log into that platform will become fewer and fewer over time. Um, I don't think there's anything you can do as a corporate employer to change that. I think that's just the, the mentality of corporate. There's an expectation. It's there. If you want it, you can log in and do it. In the SME world, it's very, very different. There isn't that level of expectation. Money is, um, I think, invested a little bit more carefully, certainly at the, the low mid um, part of the market. So I think business owners are, are more aware that uh, communication is more important. Um, but they then don't have access to the same level of technology that might be available to, or let's say previously, they've not had the the access to the technology that might make communication on a larger scale easier. I think that's that's the challenge is you've got one where they've got the budget to spend on these amazing platforms and two, they haven't, there's an awareness, but they haven't got the, the budget to spend on it. And that's where I think we're, we're trying to, um, to make a difference and that these flex platforms traditionally for a company of 50, 50 odd people, you could be looking at a hundred thousand pound investment on a flex platform. I mean, businesses of that size are not going to be wanting to spend that sum of money. So what we're trying to do is move it to a more affordable place mm-hmm. so that that flexible benefits technology is accessible to, to all, even the smallest firms. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is tricky. And what? So let, let let me call up the website. Hang on. Give me a second. This is this this is my point about employers and really employee retention. So we're going to go into a different area now. I strongly believe that. Um, Okay, Um, 24% of staff state that their benefits package is a reason they wouldn't look for a job elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's a huge statement that we're looking at basically a quarter of staff, if they've got a good employee benefits package, aren't ever going to look to leave. It seems to me a no-brainer. If you're going to spend, say you, if a, an individual is going to spend time and money on recruitment and training, I, re- I remember reading that without a recruitment agent, the cost of time and recruitment for an, for an office job paying £23,000 a year is £3,500. That's time internally spent on time and training and other provisions. And if you use a recruitment consultant, obviously you've got their fee on top. So let's say you're spending three and a half thousand, eight thousand pounds every time you recruit someone. Why would you not put in place a benefit, even even if you don't care about your employees, even if you don't care about anything else? You're saving money in the long run by making it that they don't want to leave. Mm. So why are we still in an age where a lot of employers don't have employee benefit packages? Exclude I, the, exclude the one and two-year startups. <laughs> I, I don't know, Ben, really. I mean, I, the number of times that I will be speaking to, uh, I mean, it's, it's rare now because we're, a, I should have mentioned, we, we're a 100% referral business. So we, we don't do any 
um, direct-to-consumer marketing. Um, we work with professional services that refer us and therefore it's an easier conversation to have with a new client. But there are times when we've spoken to clients where we talk to them about very, very low cost benefits. So health cash plans, I don't know whether you're aware of them, they give money back for dental, uh, for optical, for they give an EAP, an employee assistance program, so advice line for the staff and mental health. Uh, they cover duty of care for eyesight in terms of eye tests. Um, and they cost as little as is a pound a week per employee. But the pushback that we get is, no, we need to save that money because we need to do a pay review at the end of the year. And one of the stats that you can link back to that you've just you've just mentioned about, you know, 27, was it 27% of people who said they'd be happier? No, 24% of people 24%. said when they were asked, why won't you le look at leaving your current role? Because of the, because of the benefits. 24% of people said their employee benefits package. A lot yeah. said salary, a lot said they enjoy their job, but 24% yeah, so said they would not consider leaving their job just because of that. Yeah, so a link stat to that is that um, also a, a, a survey said recently that an, an employee would choose to have a £3,000 pay cut to be happier at work. All right, so, so employers think about pay review and they think we've got to give people 3%, we've got to give people 5%, whatever it might be, which is a huge sum of money when you look at it. And they give it to employees and then they're taxed on it and they pay NI and the net result is they haven't received very much money. If an employer can look at it and go, actually, let's implement some benefits that are tangible, that give, give our employees money back in their, in their pockets, whether that's online shopping, whether it's dental, whether it's optical, money they're already spending, surely that's a, a good investment for them. Um, but, and I think that's one of the challenges, I think, is that the, employees, the employer's perception is that they have to give a pay rise. And, but what we try and do is, is explain that you can, for the very small percentage of that pay rise that you're looking at, at, at um, including, you could do a small death in service plan, you could provide health cash plan, you could provide health assessment, um, which might give your employees a little bit more than it looks like when they receive a £250 pay rise a year. Yeah, because at the end of the day, what's what's going to mean more to you as a family? Seventeen to twenty pounds a month in your pay packet minus the tax, or maybe I've maybe I've understood fifty pound a month minus the tax, mm. or three times death in service, three times salary death in service, health cash plan that covers you, the wife, the kids. I think you know, well, we both know we're right. We both know that's the right way to go. It's just that we live in a society still that aren't. We did, an, we did another exercise just linked to this but before we move on. Um, we looked at, you know, if you were an employee looking for a new employer and you had um, two salaries, relatively simple, uh, relatively similar, say 35,000 with a laptop, a phone and, and a car, and then 34,000 with full PMI, four times death in service, health cash plan, uh, EAP, phone, car, etc. Which one would be more attractive to you? And we put that out to to um, various HR teams, and the, the response was was obvious. It's like you look as a as a as an employee or a potential employee, you look for the one that you think's got the the most in it as a as a total package and although the, the salary difference was only a thousand pounds and you can buy all those benefits for less than a thousand pounds a year potentially obviously it depends on on the level of salary it depends on whether people are covering dependents and things but yeah, it depends on the lots, package yeah. looks better doesn't it on paper even though you're paying them less money and i think that that's linked to that that three thousand pounds for people being happier at work it works commercially as well as from a, a happiness point of view I think I think there's there's several angles. There's retention of retention of staff. There's being a caring employer and genuinely wanting to look after staff. I think there is also being attractive to um, potential staff. And we might be we're going and arguably in a recession already. The effects are going to lag like no recession we've ever had before because people aren't yet feeling them in the same way they traditionally have. Normally you feel the effects, then the money stops, and then 
this recession is slightly different. So there is going to be an employer's market. There'll be a lot more people on the market, but still good people will be sought after. So if you are an employer and you want to get Jenny, the best Jenny in the world, and there's three of you wanting her, I imagine the employer offering the best benefits package is going to be a long way forward in that discussion. It just seems to me to be an obvious thing to do. Um, what can employees do? What, what should employees try and find out about benefits they have at work? Um, obviously, you've got, as you talk about the platforms, but what should they be looking for? And what, what should they be looking for with a potential employer? What do, would you say the top two or three? If you said to me, if I said to you, Simon, I'm looking at a new job. What employee benefits do I want my new employer to give me? So we're speaking to those people now that are either in work or looking for work. What were they? What should you want to see from your employer? Mm, okay, interesting question. It's um, I, I think there's been a real shift, and I think COVID is going to give us, um, post COVID is going to give us a very very different um, employee benefit landscape because um, recent years there's been um, a movement towards uh, well-being, towards more quirky, perky benefits, so the likes of perk box. Um, vitality with their uh, wellness engagement platforms and their free trainers and stuff like that. Um, and I think that when something like this, this global pandemic hits, hits the fan, a lot of that stuff, I'm going to call it stuff. It's not a great word, uh, really becomes a little bit irrelevant. And what actually is important to people is those traditional uh, boring insurances that actually as employee benefits mean the world to people in in this time um, so you, your traditional benefits like your healthcare, your private healthcare, the NHS done a fantastic job uh, we have seen all over your Facebook and LinkedIn about you know, and everybody praising the NHS through this this impossible time but the reality is uh, April this year, 4 million people on the waiting list. By August and September, it's going to be 8 million. The NHS was was struggling and creaking before COVID. Post-COVID, it looks pretty damn scary. So I would be wanting my employer to be providing a group health insurance policy that was going to allow me to get access to prompt treatment um, for essential or non-essential um, procedures. That's the first thing. When anyone asks me about health insurance, I say, well, look, it's, I'll read you a true story. Bear me two seconds. Let me find it. Hang on. Oh, right. Here we go. Um, example of a client here. Client suffered with significant neck pain for a few weeks. Upon visiting their GP, they referred to a private healthcare provider. They saw a consultant, had an MRI scan. The issue was diagnosed with tear labor of the shoulder joint. They were operated on and received physio, 15 physio sessions for aid recovery. This whole process from the beginning of the diagnosis, the operation took three weeks. For those without insurance, they would have been um, waiting on the NHS for a minimum of 24 weeks to a maximum of 35. Those figures are based on NHS England appointment booking pages, um, .aspx. You can find that on, the, on, on Google. Um, that, that, that testimony is actually my own story. Right. So... I had a really bad neck, horrific, pain was awful. Um, it took me three weeks to get the pain looked at into a physio. They said, look, you've got to go and see a surgeon, had an MRI, had various uh, arthroscopic in investigations. Um, then I had full surgery um, and then I started this 15 set physio session re recovery. That was because I had private healthcare mm. and my, answer to everyone I said about private you jump the queue you simply jump the queue now you're not taking NHS in fact you're actually doing the NHS a favor because you're going to be taking care of private health care which takes the burden off the NHS so not only do you jump the queue you're jumping into a different queue so you're actually freeing up the NHS because you're one fewer, fewer persons to be dealt with and you're going to get seen quicker and the other one again it's personal but my wife won't mind my wife's very open about it um, we, had, we, we, lost, we lost a baby um, a few years ago and she had to go for a gynecological scan they found uh, a cyst which had to be removed um, 
we the, the, the scan the scan the private consultation and the operation happened in just over 48 hours from beginning to end mm. so the nhs in the in the in the post pregnancy phase when they work out what went wrong they said look we think there could be a cyst they they said the week, waiting time was going to be four to eight weeks to get a scan luckily my wife was on the policy so we got her in so she got within 40 hours that nhs the nhs saying we think there's a cyst we'd gone into pro healthcare and had it removed luckily we've been able to start trying for a family again and we've now got a lo lovely little daughter but my wife was seen and dealt with in 40 hours the whole operation the lot it was only four weeks minimum just to get seen by the NHS. That's not a criticism of the NHS. Mm. That is just a praising of private healthcare. Um, hopefully what you've said and what I've said there just show the weight and the importance of private healthcare and what it can do. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think the other thing to say on that is that not, not all private health companies are one and the same in terms no. of the level of coverage for, for um, normal day-to-day -day things. But cancer coverage and, and things that you've mentioned so um and, the, and the, the prices can be can be vastly different so if you are considering buying a health insurance policy individual or company just make sure you get professional advice when you when you oh. do it make sure you're aware of the underwriting type make sure you're aware of the policy design make sure that it's fit for purpose because um you don't always get that i think when you're, when you're speaking directly to an insurer and, that, and, that, and that's one of the reasons why i don't have any i've had people i've had maybe 30 requests to be on this show 28 of them won't come on because either the topic i don't think is right at the moment or or i don't know them and their profession isn't well enough the reason you're on is because i know you and i trust you and i quite confidently say to anyone watching this if you want to discuss any of the types of insurance that simon is discussing please see him i trust him implicitly um and that's why you're right people buy insurances and they people buy products and people buy a lot of things my industry is massively massively um, exposed to this i always use an analogy would you let an electrician come into your house that wasn't qualified or experienced so the answer is obviously no would you let someone service the boiler that has never seen a boiler before and hasn't got any of the right qualifications of course you wouldn't so why would you let an unqualified, unexperienced person write your will? Why would you let an unqualified, unexperienced person set up your group life policy that's meant to protect all your staff? There should be some, and again, not being critical, there should be due diligence by the customer to make sure the person or persons they're speaking to are suitably experienced or qualified. Does that make sense? Yeah, and then if you cast back to my career back, back 20 years, I was one of those people answering the phone for yeah. PPP. And that's what you're, that's the difference is that you're looking at your junior people that are starting their roles, answering the phones at these insurance companies versus 20, 25 years of corporate level experience advising you on the best thing to do. I think both you and I can, can draw on, on that experience and, and, and kind of assist our clients in that way. Let's talk, we talked about the juniors. So, We'll come back to my question about the three types of insurance. You've already said three types of benefit. You've already said one, which is group health. But interestingly, you and I have both gone the same route in our company. I've got staff here from, I won't say Alison's age, but Alison is not an apprentice. Um, and I've got a couple others in the team that are in their, in their 40s. And I've got a couple in their 30s. But I've also got two apprentices. You've done the same. So actually, we both believe how important it is to have young people in and train them up and give them experience because someone's got to give them a chance someone's got to help them get qualified so talk to me a bit about that as a company why you've gone that way um it's it's a bit of a legacy thing really i mean in, in best health we took our first apprentice on um ryan uh and he now is that person that came across to me when we set up xelect he was that first employee he's now um uh, kind of running our our sales activity from a delivery point of view um, we've had three apprentices in since then um, all of them are, are still with me because I don't believe in bringing an apprentice in uh, for a year as cheap labor as often as is, is the is the problem um, so all four apprentices that I've that I've had um, are all still working in the firm and I have to say every single one of them 
uh, is delivering fantastic results. I don't know about about your experience of it, Ben, but um, when I was that young, I didn't really have a have a clue about what I wanted to do. I didn't really have an, the, the the best work ethic in the world. It was it was it was okay, but the kids today seem to be different. They, um, they've just they've got the ability to to go to a BNI meeting mm. you know, and and sell the business for you. They've got the ability to take on what I would consider key accounts in terms of the of the delivery from a from a back office point of view. I mean, they're different caliber. I don't understand why that is. Whether they just mature more quickly. Um, but I, I think, I'll always go. I it, think, actually. and I, I, I might be wrong, as I often am. But you, you use, well, you use, you use Adam Rook as well, professional friendships. Yes. So we both use the same friendship provider. Both use Adam Rook and professional friendships. There's a plug for you, Adam. I haven't spoken to you in a few months, but there's a plug for Adam. Um, professional friendships based in Bristol. I can't do any more to plug you. You haven't even asked, but that's it now. Um, what I found is that. Some of the apprentices that we've met and two that we've got are not what you'd call bookish. They, they weren't greatest exam sitters and wanting and didn't want to study. They didn't want to go to university. What they really wanted was a career and a job. So where they don't want to be the studier and the university goer, they actually can apply themselves with the same vim, vigor and focus to learning a role and learning on the job. And I think that's where they get that focus from that, that's so impressive. And you, like Georgina has been to a couple of networking meetings for me, stood up in front of 35, 40 people, talked about our business. Mm. She, she was 19. And, she, uh, and we had the confidence in her and the, the pride in her to go and do it. And again, I think you do what we do. Rather than mollycoddle them, we try to guide them and empower them rather than dictate to them and say bang 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 over their shoulder all the time it's about empowering them mm. yeah and i think the, the millennial mindset is that they want to be doing more they want to be taking on bigger challenges um rather than avoiding them and putting themselves in, in difficult difficult situations they actually want to be doing it yeah. which is it's probably a generational thing rather than um you know rather than anything else so we segued into the youth. So tell me the next two benefits you think you should have. Group health, obvious. Next one. Uh, I think group income, income protection is going to be more important. Um, I think as businesses make some, some tricky decisions uh, about whether people are going to be returning from, from furlough. Uh, I think the, the people that are left are going to be needed to be looked after more and i think in the event where they are poorly so let's say there's a second wave of this hideous virus um the ability i don't think the furlough scheme will will return this is the first thing i think if we have a second wave i think we've had it in terms of of government backs back support maybe the loans will stay in place but i really don't think we'll see a, a return of the furlough scheme i won't get into the into what i think's happened there but um I don't think it will return if we have a second wave. So the reality is I think the responsibilities of being able to pay for um, employees in the event of their ill health will fall firmly on the employer's shoulder, shoulders. So a group income protection plan that's going to cover the cost or partial cost of that employee's absence, I think is going to be sensible for consideration. And then in the very worst circumstances, we've seen 30,000, 35,000 deaths in the UK already. A death in service policy is going to provide some reassurance to that employee's family in the event of the, the absolutely tragic circumstances where um, you lose an employee due to due to a virus like this. So they would be my three top tips. And interestingly, they're all the traditional old school benefits that for years I've been saying, oh, we need to move away from this this corporate design of benefits and move to you know a more flexible approach but in reality when the proverbial hits the fan i think those those staples of the employee benefits world are absolutely critical now let's talk about some of the, the more modern stuff so obviously 
we're lucky enough to work together on, on, on a lot of stuff. Um, we, we're now providing wills to numerous companies um, as an employee benefit. Explain to me and the viewers how we're working with several companies on it. It's, it's something that's been great for us. It's something we didn't even see as an opportunity or a route to market. But employers are trying to give people these flexible benefits. So using wills as an example, how do, how do employers provide that as a flexible benefit? So one of the things we've, we've tried to do to, to move into that more corporate space, corporate design for the SME world is um, talking to employers about rather than them buying all the benefits that they would traditionally do for their employees is saying, okay, if you've got benefits budget, how much is that? And what is that per, per employee? And instead of buying those benefits for them, why don't you give them a cash sum to put on a portal and then allow employees to access a whole host of different benefits. So we've talked about some of them already. Um, they might be in the healthcare space, the protection space, and then the, the non-regulated benefit space. And the employee then can opt in or opt out of these various benefits. They can up their pension, they can up their life cover amount from one times to six times. They could um, opt out of the cash plan and put in dental cover and then, you know, with the same as we've, we talked about, they can opt into a, a single will, a couple will, uh, a funeral plan. They, they could do a whole host of things. Um, and what that's done, I think, is, is, is created a little bit more engagement. We talked about communication earlier on. Um, if employees are forced to engage with the employee benefits platform to access their employee benefits and they have choice, then suddenly there's a, an increased level of engagement there. That said, I think the current circumstances make that less attractive. I think we, we will go back to that. I think um, it, where employees are opting out of healthcare and opting out of death in service to buy a tech scheme, or to, to buy you know a, a new iMac or to buy um, an e-bike an e or something like that. And they've opted out of these things that actually tangibly are, are gonna create an ability for them to return to work more quickly or to give them a cash sum to in the event of their as i said their their, their death um you know it, it's 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 an interesting position to be in now yeah you you, you paint a picture that's positive on what can be done but also it's obvious that you've got some real fears around how staff might, so how employers might act and decisions they, they might make. I don't um, think it's the employers. I don't think it's employers because employers are always going to give access to those, those benefits that are tangible and important and traditional. It's the employees. And because the employees have only generally got one, one opportunity a year to make their benefit selection, they might have made their selections in you know October last year and don't yeah. get an opportunity to do it until... October this year and actually the landscape has changed so significantly that the things that they deemed important in October last year might be completely irrelevant now and they might be there just going god I wish I'd done this I wish I'd done that um but the design so touch on that change. because that's that's I've always found really I understand there are tax windows and there are this that and the other but with the world changing so fast look for example you could have your benefit selection in October you and your wife not be expecting a baby you choose one thing in october november she's pregnant you you want a whole different benefits package and you're now tied in for a year so explain firstly why there's a tie-in and is there any movement in the industry or the government to allow that to maybe be a, a twice yearly benefit selection because that seems like it would make more sense yeah i think it's just the the um administration of of opening up a window more frequently both for the uh, company itself for the employees and also for for the benefit providers the insurers uh, and and us um, you have to think that a lot of these contracts that we're placing are annual contracts with the providers they're on an annual renewal basis and if you have a, an annual window um, the, the idea is to align the renewal dates with that annual window so the rates that you've got on the platform are applicable for a 12-month period 
um, the circumstances where you mentioned about um, uh, having a baby, that's different. That's a lifestyle event. That's something that you are then able to, to log into your systems and make changes. And the same as if you have a promotion, a demotion, move house, um, circumstances like that that can be considered as, as uh, significant life events um, allow you to make benefit changes. Is that with all platforms? But yeah, it's it's defined really by the company in terms of the benefit design that the company agrees to. But most uh, most companies that we work with have defined life Brilliant. events, um, comprehensive um, list of life events that qualify. Um, but in the event of something like this, this isn't a, a life event. This is a this is an unexpected <laughs> situation, uh, not covered by the, by those list of eligible events so it's it's not covered you know you can't you can't allow people to make changes which is which is difficult so let's move from that which is good news that for significant life events you get those changes but other times you're a little bit stuck let's move to um, an area where i think we're going to see some significant change and some significant worries firstly around the the market with people leaving work with people being furloughed how do you see that going from speaking to employers um obviously don't name any names but you must know people who might not be bringing people back and also what do you think the what do you think the landscape of the office will look like with fewer people do you think it'll be far fewer people in the office everyone's talking about the new normal i'm yet to be convinced that everyone's going to be working from home um, what do you think on both? So start with the um, working from home. How do you think, do you think there is going to be the new normal on that? I hope not considering the investment last year in the new office, but um, I, it wouldn't surprise me if there's a, a very uh, a seismic shift really in terms of the expectation of employers uh, wanting their employees in the office all the time. Um, I think there'll be a, a much higher level of flexibility i think the tradition if i use me as an example i mean if our internet went in our office because we're on we're on heavily reliant the internet we're on office 365 we've got voip phones so the internet connection drops the business just goes you know just you just can't do it you can't run it Same so the, the instances that where that happened previously and we would be without without internet for a day two days the business was just done you couldn't do anything this scenario of, of having to have everybody at home has proven that the business can run very pretty well actually and in fact i think we've probably seen pro productivity gains from people being at home run being in the office because there's not the uh, the banter and the chit chat and everything else and so there's positives to that we'll, we'll come back to it but um I think we've all proven to ourselves that there's no need really for an office or very little need for an office. Um, and I think from a lot of business owners and directors will be looking at it going, okay, I'll be a bit more flexible. If, if, you know, Joe wants to work from home this, this week because you've got childcare issues or if, um, you know, somebody's not feeling particularly well, but they still want to do a bit of work, then we can allow them to do it. Mm. I don't think I'll be saying to people, you know, we always said we're flexible working between eight and eight. That's our, our contra employment contract. Any, any do your hours with an eight, eight to late Monday to Friday. I don't see why people can't do half a day at home if they want to, or, you know, days at home or weeks at home. I, I don't mind as long as the work's being done. So I, one of the reasons I like people in the office, but I also, but I also understand that is, I think you get a lot of knowledge and best practice sharing when you're in the group together. I think the germination and the fostering of positive ideas and how to look after staff. I also think if someone struggled with a call or someone's struggling with a call, they can get instant feedback on a colleague on how they might have handled it. Um, I think those those are very tangible benefits of being in an office. Yeah. Um, but will you force been... people to be there? This is, this is the question. Will you force people to be in? Well, or will there going, be an expectation for, for you to have people there? So what, what we are going to move to is that um, we, we've got, we'll, we're full, we're full desktops. Only me and my two co-owners have got um, laptops. We've already got two new laptops now for the team. 
and from the 1st of September we will be um, they'll be allowed to work one day a week from home um, they already have very flexible working with their hours we've got various different shift patterns 9 to 5 10 till 6 um, 12 to 8 I think the quote on those think they're, they're about right um, <laughs> but we already we have quite flexible working on on those shift patterns anyway which people love because they say well actually when I'm working the late shift because obviously a lot of our clients want to speak after work they can do the doctor's appointment, the dentist's appointment in the morning. They can do their errands in the morning. Um, so what we're going to be doing for sure is they'll ever be able to work one day a week from home. And um, we're going to ask them to do their nine till five from home. Because we think if they work their nine till five shift from home, the benefit of that is that's the busiest shift for traffic and commuting. So let's, let's, let's get them out of that rat race on that day. It's almost a double whammy. We're taking people off the road at that time. And our team aren't going to be on the road losing more time. Um, it seems that's, I think that, that, that's where the biggest shift's going to be. I think is is not necessarily in the the the, the office environment, but the the lack of expectation of as a sales team having to deliver your pitch face to face. Yeah, and I think that this practice of of Zoom calling will replace eighty ninety percent of face-to-face -face meetings in my my personal view um, I used to trek down to London to see clients for a meeting be there for an hour and a half so be on the train a meeting for an hour and a half back on the train again I mean they're the waste of of money the impact on the environment uh, the waste of time was 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 ridiculous you, you look back now and you go what was I thinking and you know the same with the sales team sending them on a train down to Exeter or and then for an overnight stay if the meeting was late. I mean, it, it's just just madness. Uh, and no, I think a lot of business will move, will just move to this. So we like just it. say £400 on training on new member of staff, which you have to pay for two nights in a hotel. Mm. Like, it's just, I'm not saying £400, it's just an example, isn't it? Every time we onboard a member of staff, they go through about 1500 quid's worth of training, or well, £400 of that now we don't have to spend, which is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, the other bits, the other savings we make is COVID, just to share them with you and your listeners. It's uh, things like printing. We used to print print a huge amount of, of letters, pre-renewal letters, post-renewal letters, you know, application forms that required signatures, all of that stuff. We don't have off, we don't have printers at home. The the printer is, is behind me. And I've not, you know, as soon as people said, Oh, can you print this off and send this in the post? I said, No, we're gonna create digital versions of all these these forms and suddenly you know the cost in terms of the print the cost in terms of the paper again time postage it, it's amazing how something like this has forced us all to look at processes and procedures and and make some really really good efficiency gains and environmental impact as well that's, that's the other thing yeah and i think that this might sound a little bit old-fashioned of me I also want people to earn the right to work from home because there is an element of trust, isn't there? You've got to be able to trust they can do it and they're competent to do it. So I think that's something that we're going to give them one day a week. And then once they've finished another professional qualification, they'll, they'll then be able to do two days a week from home. And I think that for me is a big thing that it, it's, it's two, it's two way. What I, what I am very conscious of is that, we need to make sure that employers often get painted in a bit of a bad light, like we're, like we're the bad guy. Well, actually, what we're doing is we're providing jobs and paying mortgages and paying for holidays by providing those jobs. So we're not bad people. Have you noticed that sometimes uh, people sort of say, well, why don't the staff get this? Why don't they get that? Well, actually, I think uh, <laughs> they might not say it, but I would believe everyone who works for both you and I are actually really content and happy because we have empowered them to do things. We do support them. And we've also asked in return that they, they deliver a certain level of performance and, uh, and ability. Does that, that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. And I think with, uh, with platforms that are out there at the moment, like Glassdoor, I think it would be uh, stupid of us not to make sure that we treat them uh, with the respect that they deserve because you know those, those platforms that allow your employee's voice without an employer's interaction, really. Um, give a, a real visibility to what it's like to work for for the firms yeah. i don't know whether any of your guys have, have have been on yet to to do that but certainly three or four of mine have, have reviewed our business 
on there. And then obviously the, the, the other side, the client side, Google reviews and, and things like that. Then transparent from the, the, the benefit of looking after an employee is the employee then looks after the client and treats them with the respect that they deserve. And then you obviously get the compound effect. Yeah, it's, it's the fact that if, if we make sure they're looked after, they are happier, they perform better. Um, as you, you've obviously got to monitor performance and monitor quality. That's That goes without saying, you do that in any role. But I look back to 2015, my time in financial services from 07 to 15, before it was into early 16, before I said my own, that was quite draconian. You must be in the office at nine till five and you must wear this clothing and not nine to five you need to be logged on ready to go at nine. Oh yeah yeah we'll, we'll, <laughs> pay, we'll, we'll pay you nine to five but you must be logged in by ten, 10 to two. nine <laughs> and you can't start logging out till five everything takes 10 minutes to shut down so there's 20 minutes either way and mm. god forbid you were 30 seconds back late from lunch because even though you're giving them 20 minutes extra they'd only notice the toilet the the 30 seconds in the, mi- the middle so and how frowned how frowned on how frowned on were you if you did log off at five o'clock in the corporate oh, world? yeah like that was the world where the last person in the office there was a fight to be the last person in the office i remember days when i was sat there when security would come and kick me out because i thought that was the, the way that corporate needed to be but, um, but I, I feel they still are a lot like that when i speak to my friends who are in different companies they still feel that is very much how they are. And I wonder if it's because we're both, uh, we're not, I'm not saying we're the best employers and the best boss in the world, but because we've experienced that and we've now got the ability to not be that, I've never ever said no to a member of the team going, can I have some, can I have this time? Can I be late here? Can I be early here? Never has that happened. Because I know that they are going to get their work done it will be done. The client and the customers are not going to suffer. And I trust my members of staff to not take, not take the piss. Mm. But we weren't exactly. given that, were we? You and I weren't given that. But, not at all. And, and I still don't think they are. We were given perfect examples of how not to be an employer, in my view. Uh, it's difficult I was to say. We've listed the employers. They're great in terms of training, great in terms of investment, but in terms of their people management. And I've got to say, it's difficult when you when you're running a business the size of some of the, the companies we've talked about, to have that one to one engagement with employer and employee is it's it's hard. I don't think it's impossible, but it's hard. So so we I think we've both had some good lessons about how not to do it, and how yeah. to treat people badly, and then draw on those experiences to say actually when we're doing this ourselves, I want to make sure, damn sure that these people want to be with me. And in, in 10 years of being a, a, a people manager in, in, in Best Health and select, no one has voluntarily, voluntarily left me. Because people don't leave a job, they leave a, a manager, don't they? No one in 10 years has, has left me as a manager, which, I, which is great. I, I, I love that. Um, but that, that's, that's, I think that's why, just treating people with respect. And also, there's there's still there's still this thing in corporate world where, well, it certainly was five years ago, four or five years ago. It might it might have changed now. Probably don't think it has. Where there were people who were inappropriate in the workplace, um, and it was kind of like, oh, he's always been like that. Just make it right. It's there's always and they and they get moved from department to department. We've both seen it with staff with sort of some senior management around, around the world and around the country that I wonder if we are moving into a new era as they start to leave businesses and they start to retire that we will get a change people listening on the podcast can't see what you've just done <laughs> it wasn't a visa <laughs> cross your fingers with hope yeah yeah, fingers crossed. Exactly. It's um. Yeah. Well, let's let's try a, a local change, shall we? Just as a as a pat, make sure we're we, doing. We things can change what we're and, doing and yeah. hope other people do the same. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely. to close with, how excited about going on golf tour with me in October? Like if we can go, mate, I'm I'm really excited. You seem you you seem very very sure that we can, 
and uh, fingers crossed we can. It'll be, it'll be great. It can't be any other way. But well, I, I've look, forgotten how to play, I have to say. Well, you have to ask for permission to come out, don't you? I do have to ask permission. Oh, yes. And I offered you to play do you last not need week. To? Do you not need to? Um, as long as I'm going out with clients or potential clients, then, then it's a business thing and my wife is very understanding. I got an absolute bollock in the other day because I went out with three mates and I got, she's like, that is not business. You've gone on a boy's jolly and I got a rollock in and quite rightly so. But yeah, I'd say 95% of the golf I play at the moment, at least two of the people in a four ball are either potential clients or existing clients or people I'm going to be doing business with. Um, I yeah, I'll, also, I'll get out at some point. I also, it's just a bit too close, I think, until lockdown's lifted. I just feel a little bit. Uh, a bit, a little bit nervous about it, but Mate, you and I have never been near each other on a golf course. No, I know, I know that. And one of us is. You're in the left, you're left rough, and I'm in the right rough, and we're nowhere near each other. Um, I think for me though, like talking about mental health very quickly with, with, with as a benefit of, I know some some employers actually have mental health staff, mental health referral schemes. Golf for me is is is, is large a large part of mine. I really suffered in lockdown with not being able to, to get out and play because my life is very much three things, family, work, and golf. So my, my the golf twice a week is to decompress and just sort of get away from those two. Not that I don't love them, but we all need that little bit of a decompression. So I actually really struggled in the first sort of six weeks of lockdown, not being able to get out and play. And the last last few weeks has, has made a, a massive difference to me. How are, you, how, are you, how are you coping with, with things in lockdown? Well, my, my escape is music and I've got a, a recording studio at home. So I literally just close the door from the world and still feel relatively safe, content and, um, and, and kind of write music in there. And I've, I've been doing that um, every, every other day, probably just spending an evening out there. And um, that's my release and that's kept me sane. I think the other thing is I've been really fortunate in the fact that um, Helen's really supportive in terms of doing the schooling and, and being at home, which has enabled me to, 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 to come to the office every day. Um, so I, I, I was listening to LBC a couple of days ago and they said the direct impact of COVID has been felt more heavily on, on women than men because men, I think, have just been getting on using the work as a, as a bit of a, an excuse <laughs> to, to carry on as normal. And in reality, it hasn't been normal. Um, so I've, I've been guilty of that, I think, and mm. left Helen to a lot of it. Um, so I'm very grateful for her to, to be supportive. Um, and I've just got to be aware of her mental health, just make sure that she's, um, she's looked after. Yeah, I think obviously Annabelle's 19 months next week. So she's a very different, in, different in the type of child we're looking after. But yeah, I think, I try to make sure that when I'm not at work, I give Liz as big a break as I can. Um, so what, how much of the parenting does she do day to day? Of course she does more. She's at home with her and I'm, at, I'm here. But I try to make sure that we carve out chunks of time where she can go and see her friends, and go and see her family and, and whatever else it might be and just not be a mum. Because mm -hmm. sometimes I think we underestimate how much people need just that break to not be a mum and go and have a little bit of time to themselves because it is all encompassing, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's compounded a little bit because uh, Helen won't go out at the moment. She's, she's still got this fear of, of going out. So um, as, as much as you can offer support at home, they still need to go out, still need to see family. Both uh, her, her mum and her sister are in kind of high, higher risk job positions. Her mum's a mental health nurse working in a care home her sister works in a in a in a kind of school, so where they're looking after key worker staff. So both are uh, at higher risk, which she's avoided seeing them. Um, so it's, it's it's challenging. It's challenging for everyone. Um, but yeah, I have an escape. She doesn't. That's a, that's a challenge. Look, you're a good man, and I know how much you care about your family, and I know how how hard you work. Um, so fingers crossed. Helen can feel more confident to leave the house soon and go and do a few bits. And fingers crossed as well that come October, we are we are up, up and away because uh, that will 
be a really good break for all of us. Absolutely. You see, I've laid the ground the groundwork now in a in a video call to say, right, you go out a bit more, darling, and then me me and Ben can go and play golf. Yeah, mate. Exactly. Or <laughs> I try. I've tried so many times to get Liz into golf to see if, like, because if she can come play with me, I can play as much as I want. So Absolutely. Annabelle. Annabelle already calls it putt-putt. She's got her own putter cut down to size. I cut one down, made her a handle. She loves putt-putt. She plays. She goes in the garden all the time trying to hit a ball in a hole. So I got, I got the daughter into it. If I get Liz into it, which I've been trying to, that means that I can just go and play. I can play twice in a week, twice in a weekend, both the girls. Let's go out and play. So that, that's, my, that's my long-term game plan. Genius. Right. I've been called a genius. It must be time for us to end. Mate, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, if anyone needs any advice on employee benefits, um, I think we know where to go. Equally, if you're an employee and you want to talk to your boss about it, well, maybe introduce them to Simon. Maybe say, look, let's, 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 let's open up a conversation. Um, we want more of this. We want more of that. Simon is a great guy to speak to. So to close it all off, Simon, thank you so much. My name is Ben Mason. I'm the CEO of Inherit. This was the Kim Cast. If you need any help with a will, trust, or power of attorney, give me a call. Thanks so much. Take care, everybody, and have a lovely, lovely day.